Well, this is Alex Grant. Today's episode is brought to you by my new comic, Journey into Mexico, with Latin American artist Sebastián Guirobono, following the adventures of young T-Hax Tabaris, who wields the power of... El Fuego! During a very politically hot time in 1830s Mexico, available in both English and Spanish on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, Comixology, and other book outlets such as IndiePlanet.com. Cheers, and let's get started. Welcome again to the Comic Book Historians Podcast. I'm Alex Grant with my co-host Jim Thompson, and we are concluding the Tom DeFalco interview in part three, where we start off with, what's your take on the uh, image revolution of, of 92? Larson, McFarland, Liefeld, Jim Lee, they go to make image. Fingeroth said that the percentage of profit sharing that Marvel had in the 80s contributed to this kind of mass migration of talent. And you were there when all this happened and when McFarlane was in the room saying how we wanted things to be for him. Tell us your view of all that. Well, Danny is right. The money that those guys were making was so much that it, it gave them the capital mm-hmm. and the freedom to uh, to form their own company. Mm-hmm. I, I found out about that by accident one day. There was going to be a um, an auction at uh, Sotheby's mm-hmm. uh, for comic book art, a first-time uh, auction. And the president of the company, Terry Stewart, said to me, you and I should, should go, you know, should be together when, when when the auction starts. And I said, okay, fine. And then uh, at the end of the day, it's about 6.30 uh, at the end of the day, and I realized I'd never spoken to Terry. I didn't know if I was going to meet him at Sotheby's or I was going to meet him at, at Marvel's. Uh, and I tried to call his office. Nobody was answering the phone. I figured, ah, I know Terry. He's, he's got to be up there on the 11th floor. So I walk up on the 11th floor. I knock on the door. And I see he's, 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 he's in meeting with the what became the image guys. Mm-hmm. And Terry looks at me and says, come on in here, Tom. We could use you here. Come on in here. I said, no, I just want to find out something. No, no, no. Come on in here. And um, this is when the image guys were basically um, asking, asking for their demands. You know, mm-hmm. you know telling... Telling Marvel what they wanted that yeah they they wanted to get a, a bigger share of profit. One guy would say one thing. I think we should have eighty uh, percent of the profit, and the other guy said, "No, no, we should get ninety percent of the profit." And mm. somebody would say, uh, "Listen, when Fr- when Frank Sinatra comes into town, he never has to buy a drink. So when I come into town, I should never have to buy it, pay for a drink. When I go to a convention, I should be flown first class with my wife and children." And somebody else says, well, well, wait a minute, I don't have a wife, but but my girlfriend's an entourage should should fly first class with me. <laughs> oh, and wow, they, okay. And they had all these different, everybody had different things. And, and Terry, after about, oh, I'm going to say about three hours, because it ended about 9 o'clock, 9.30, Terry said to, said to them, um, uh, listen, guys, guys, you, you're all over the map. Why don't you... Why don't you guys sit together, make a list of what you want, and yeah. once you agree on that list, give us the list, and then we'll go through the list point by point, and we'll tell you what we can do and what we can't do. And I thought that was a very reasonable thing. And uh, 
And they said, fine. And they, uh, they then got up and, and they left. Um, and the next day, uh, you know, uh, we're at Sotheby's and I see one of them talking to a, a fanzine reporter. And I walk up and, I, and the fanzine, and he's announcing to the fanzine that the, the formation of Image Comics. And I said, formation of Image Comics? And I said to him, wait a minute, at the end of the meeting, you guys were going to come up with a list. I said, I said Tom, listen, uh, that meeting was kind of a, you know, kind of a show thing. We just wanted to be able to say to the public that we approached Marvel and you didn't give in to our demands, but we had already decided, we had already signed our contracts. And I said, you, you son of a bitch. If you knew that, that that meeting was a farce, why didn't you signal me so I could have gotten out of there? I ended up wasting three hours of that stupid thing. Staying there until 9 p.m., yeah. Yeah. You, you could have signaled me, and I could have gotten the heck out of there. Why Why did I have to suffer through that bullshit for three hours? I, I, I said, I don't mind you jerking ter- Terry Stewart around, but you shouldn't jerk me around like mm-hmm. that. And he said to me, yeah, I was sorry. We, we felt bad about jerking you around, but, you know. We had to be able to say, he said, we, we approached DC last week. We had to be able to say we approached Marvel right. for, for, for publicity things. And I said, okay, well, good luck. I said, uh, that's interesting. So it was more as part of forming a publicity inertia in a way. Okay. Yeah. And it, it didn't surprise me because the history of Marvel was you go and you become a superstar and then you go to DC and uh, you, 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 you spend the credit that that you got when you were over at Marvel, and then you get forgotten. And a lot of guys had done that. Kirby had kind of done that. Ditko had kind of done that. You know, a number of people had gone from Marvel to DC. Yeah. Roy you Thomas, uh, Gene Colan, a lot of people did that. Yeah. Byrne. John Byrne. John Byrne, yeah. yeah. Although, you know... I can't say that happened to everybody because because Byrne was a superstar at, at DC, came back to Marvel, still a superstar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's and today he's still I, I think he's still a superstar. Mm-hmm. And Roy Thomas, the same thing. Jerry Conway, the same thing. These are all very talented guys. Mm-hmm. Now, Fantastic Four, you started it with issue three fifty six in nineteen ninety one, and Paul Ryan was artist, and you had a long run, almost what sixty issues. How'd that come about? Doing the Fantastic Four. And how was working with Paul Ryan? Well, Paul Ryan was a dream. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. Ralph Macchio was was editing um, Fantastic Four. Um, Walt Simonson was leaving the books. The sales on the newsstand had fallen on Fantastic Four, and it looked like we were going to have to take Fantastic Four off the newsstand. Yeah, I don't want to be editor-in-chief when we take Fantastic Four off the newsstand. Mm-hmm. And I uh, spoke to Ralph, and Ralph spoke to a couple of people to see if he could get people to uh, to work on the book. He had, spoke, he had spoken to Chris Claremont. I think, uh, I think, you know, I think he had spoken to Byrne, found out that Byrne wanted to erase everything that had happened between the time he had gotten on the book and uh, the time he'd spoken to a couple of other people. And he just couldn't get anybody. And he said, listen, we want to fix the, the newsstand sales. Right now, the two best-selling newsstand sale books were – uh, Thor by me and Ron and uh, Captain America mm-hmm. um, by Grooney and, uh, and, oh, and, and Larry, Larry Hammer's G.I. Joe. Those were our three best-selling newsstand books. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, how, would you and Ron like to take over Fantastic Four? And I said, uh, I, I, I don't know. I got to talk to Ron before I, you know, I, I can't make a decision for Ron. Mm-hmm. So I spoke to Ron and we had 
you know, too much stuff going on with Eric. And I said, uh, yeah, we can't, we can't give up Thor. We, we got just too much stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, cause we deeply love our characters. Ralph said to me, well, would you want to write Fantastic Four by yourself? You know, I'm already editor in chief. I, I, you know, uh, I don't know if I can, I can actually do two books a month. I, but I was doing some other work outside of comics and thought, you know, maybe if I cut back on some of that, I could, I could try it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then somebody said to me, "Don't be ridiculous. There's no way you could do two books a month." And they did it in such a sneery voice. I thought, I'm going to see if I can. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I said to Ralph, "Okay." Now it, it may sound strange because you know, uh, you know, I'm the editor in chief. Ralph reports to me. But yet, because I had started working for Ralph long before I became editor in chief, we had already established the ground rules on how how we worked as a, as a team. So when I worked for Ralph, <laughs> he told me what he didn't like. I see. Uh-huh. Uh, and and you know, unfortunately, he was always right. We uh, I think we spoke to Ron Lim about maybe t- taking over FF, hmm. uh, but Ron was doing Captain America and he didn't want to leave Cap, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and then uh, I thought about Paul, and you know, Paul, again, a consummate professional, could draw anything. Mm-hmm. And if you uh, read any of our Fantastic Four run, he had to draw pretty much anything because it was a wild roller coaster ride. And I said to Paul in the in, this, in the beginning, Paul, we we got to pull out all the stops. This has to be, you know, a super a super soap opera. Yeah, cosmic. Uh, Cosmic soap opera. I always looked at Fantastic Four as Dallas in space. Instead of uh, oil rigs in the background, you saw spaceships and that sort of stuff. I said, we're going to kick up the soap opera elements and just go to town. Mm -hmm. Our our first issue, we we guest starred the New Warriors because they were outselling the Fantastic Four. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. So so we wanted wanted to to get a little boost from from New Warriors. Yeah. Um, And then... um, you know, we started our roller coaster ride and uh and, and 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 just you know kept on throwing twists and turns and you know, every wild thing we could think of. And you made uh, Alicia it turns out she was a scrawl when she uh left Ben for Johnny during Secret Wars. What was the thinking behind that? <laughs> the thinking I stole that idea. Uh-huh. And I I stole it from Mark Romwald and uh, Ralph Macchio. Okay. Years earlier we were sitting at Ralph's house. He had a swimming pool. We were sitting at the pool. Ralph and Mark are arguing about, you know, Johnny marrying Felicia mm-hmm. and how it didn't fit into character. Johnny would never do that to Ben. What, what was Alicia thinking? What was going on? Alicia looked like his sister. What the heck is, you know, and, and, and they were trying to come up with ways to void it. Mm-hmm. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And, and one of them says, well, we could always say that Alicia was a scroll. Yeah. And they said, well, again, that would do it. We'd just have to figure out a story for for that. Yeah. And they turned to me and said, what do you think of this? And I said, I think it's a moot point because none of us are writing Fantastic Four. So let, let's move on with our lives and enjoy the pool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when the time came to come up with an idea, I thought, I, I remember that conversation. And I pitched it to Ralph. And Ralph said, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Where'd you get it from? And I said, I got it from you and Mark. And I reminded him of this day at the pool. And he goes, I don't think we came up with that. I said, y- you did. Trust me. 
it made sense. Mm-hmm. Everything fit together mm-hmm. the way you needed it to fit together. And we could go back and all the discrepancies and stuff. Right. And that also adds some soap opera element. Yep. It's, it's all soap opera. You know, people look at Stanley's biggest contribution to comic books and, and comic book superheroes. Yeah. And they get it wrong. It's not yeah. characters with feet of clay. Yeah. It is the soap opera elements. Yeah, that's right. I agree. He made it into a soap opera. So now, something I want to ask, there are two specific issues in Fantastic Four in your run. There's Fantastic Four 358 and issue 400. And the reason I bring them up is because Stan Lee had written like letters that were published in these two issues where he released in 358 his original synopsis of the Fantastic Four number one story. Do you remember that? I, I remember he did. Um, uh-huh. what, what, what issue was 358? I'm sorry. I... Yeah, it was like a die cut cover. There was a four in the middle with all four of them around the circle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever happened to Alicia? That was that story. And so in it, there is the bonus material of Stan Lee's letter of his original plot synopsis for the first Fantastic Four issue. Why do you think he released that synopsis at that time is there any reason on why he did that or was there any talk about why he could have released it on that issue i i think that synopsis had been published once before i think 358 was like the an, an anniversary issue of fantastic four number one or something like that uh-huh and, yeah. and i think that's why we decided to you know hey we'll we'll, we'll throw in the first plot i see uh, if you look at that plot and then look at the actual comic. You see how much you know Kirby contributed to it. Kirby contributed a lot to, mm-hmm. to, to Fantastic Four. Right, right. Um, Do you think he was doing that because there were these fandom claims that Kirby originated all of it and that he was basically trying to defend himself to some extent, credit-wise? No, no because that plot, uh, that plot first surfaced when Roy Thomas was, was working with Stan you know, years earlier, you know, Stan had found it in, in papers or, or Roy had found it. I, I forget how it worked out, but one of them had found it, read it and always kept it around. I don't know if Stan even knew that we were going to reprint that when, when we did the anniversary issue or if, or if we called Stan and said, hey, guess what? We're going to we're going to reprint mm-hmm. that thing. Mm-hmm. Th- that was decided in the office. Hey, we're I gonna, see. We're going to do a an anniversary issue of Fantastic Four number one. So, hey, you, you got the original plot? Put yeah, that in. I see. It was more as as an anniversary celebration type than, than anything, anything else. else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's cool. I get curious about stuff like that. People often look at the challenges of the unknown and they say, "Oh, challenges of the unknown." Fantastic Four, four guys, blah blah blah. But if you look around, there were also also the Sea Devils, which were just like the challenges of the unknown. It, and the Suicide Squad, a uh, different Suicide Squad, just right. like the challenge, all, all these groups that were essentially the same, four or five skilled people. And the only thing that, that made them different were their skills, or, or one of them talked with a Brooklyn accent. When you look at Fantastic Four, the personalities are so diverse. And that's something that, you know, Kirby had never really done. I can't see Kirby saying, hey, I'm going to create a new team and bring back the original Human Torch. And not, that probably Kirby. could have been Martin Goodman even ordering something like that. Even Well, I, I think it was Goodman was saying, hey, you know, bring back the old superheroes and, and, and Stan saying, well, I'll bring back the Human Torch, but none of the other guys. You look at the FF and it's such a, a mixture of Kirby and Stan. 
you know, I, I have to say it's got to be at least 50 50 because mm-hmm. we fell in love with the Fantastic Four and, and with Spider Man and, and with Thor and all these, with the personalities mm-hmm. and, the, and the conflicts and all that other stuff. And that was all Stan. The mm-hmm. personality stuff was Stan. Right. The voices for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I don't mean to take anything away from Kirby or, or, or Ditko because right, right. every comic book is at least 50 50, at least. Mm-hmm. And maybe even 75, 25, 75 for the artist, because th- this definitely is a visual medium. We can never, never forget that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this is the Japanese America podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We'll bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mio. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. So then in Fantastic Four 400... So Jack Kirby dies in 1994, then Stan released another letter in FF400, and it's kind of like an obituary type of letter where he talks about how he and Jack co-created the Fantastic Four together, and a kind of a letter to Jack, very, very friendly letter. What was your impression of that letter, and do you remember reading that? Uh, listen, um, Stan always had warm feelings for Jack. Anytime he spoke about Jack, he spoke with such reverence and such warmth and such real love. One time I saw them together, you know, Stan ran across to Jack and they embraced and hugged each other and were obviously very happy to see each other. Oh, and you watched that happen. And I saw that happen and that that, that was during the time when Kirby was trying to get his artwork back and, and you know, Marvel, you know, I always thought, you know, Marvel was the villain because Stan had, uh, you know, put some, put the artwork in a warehouse as opposed to DC, which cut up the artwork. DC yeah. was the hero. They cut up the artwork. Marvel was the villain. They saved the artwork. Yeah. Fans are funny like that. So now, why did you resign as editor-in-chief in 1994? What led you to do that? I didn't resign. I was fired. The company wanted to do a major reorganization. Earlier in that year, you know, Superman had died, and then Superman returned. And when Superman returned, all of the retailers ordered the amount of books they wished they had ordered when Superman died. Mm-hmm. And they all got stuck with them. The industry took a big hit. You know, sales were down all over the place. Uh, in Marvel, sales were actually for the year up fifteen percent, but for the rest of the market it was down to like thirty-five percent. Mm-hmm. You know, the company was trying to figure out a, a way to reorganize things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ways they, at one point, they proposed to me. They brought me into a room. And they said, uh, you know, we're, we're producing 120 titles at the moment. And we were. And I said, yes, we are producing 120 titles, all of them profitable. The distributor makes the least amount of money. The publisher makes more than the distributor. But the person that makes the most is the retailer. They, they get 50%. You know, some of them got, you know, 55% off mm. cover price. So I said, you know, we're making money. So everybody else down the line is making money. And right. I said to me, what do you think if we cut from 120 titles to 60 titles, would the remaining titles sell twice as well and double our profits? 
and I laughed at them because, you know, I said to them, no, that doesn't work. And I laughed. And then I realized that I'm the only one laughing. Everybody else has a, a shocked expression on their face. They didn't expect me to laugh. And these are the Revlon people like Perlman and those guys, right? The, these were, the, this was the president of the company, uh-huh. uh, the a guy in charge of marketing, and the uh-huh. man in charge of the uh, uh, sales. I see. Okay. And I said to him, listen, the comic book sales don't work that way. If somebody is, is reading um, Ghost Rider and you cancel Ghost Rider, it's not like he's going to then pick up Captain America. This is what we're producing, you know, four Spider-Man titles. If we got rid of two, wouldn't the last two double in sales? I said, no, because it's the same guy buying all four titles. Mm-hmm. I said, because if you're a Spider-Man fan, you want to read Spider-Man every week. Right. You don't want to have to wait 30 days between your Spider-Man fix. And I said, it, you know, it's like movies. If three good movies come out in a weekend... You know, maybe you'll see one, maybe you'll see two. Mm-hmm. The third one, you say, maybe I'll catch that next week. If no good movies come out in a weekend, you don't say, well, okay, no good movies come out, so I'll go see a bad one. You go yeah. out for pizza instead. Right, you do something else. You do something else. The comic book's the same sort of thing. We're in entertainment. And they thought I just didn't understand comic book sales, and I thought, these guys don't understand publishing. And then they uh, started talking about buying their own distributor. And I remember saying, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. And also, when they bought Malibu, I was not supportive of the idea. So basically, they could tell that I was not a team player for their team. And they decided that they wanted to uh, make a change. It's their company. They're entitled. Uh, So they informed me that they they didn't need me as editor-in-chief anymore. They were going to, you know, give me a job where they sent me to Europe. I said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm out of here. Wow. And this was on a Thursday. And they said, well, you know, we'll talk on Monday. And I said, okay, we'll talk on Monday, but I'm, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't think about things. So for that weekend, I started pursuing other forms of uh, employment. Yeah. But it never once occurred to me to get in touch with DC or Image. <laughs> never, never occurred to me to talk to another comic book company. I just assumed I'd be out of comic books. Oh, wow. I set up other things to write, other things to do. And Monday came in, I'm figuring, oh, I'm covered. And they said to me, well, we at least want you to be a writer. And they offered me a great writing contract. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. So I, I ended up staying with Marvel. As um, a writer and not editor-in-chief. Not editor-in-chief. Oh, because you still were doing Fantastic Four after that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So it was more like corporate business, funny movements, and you kind of thinking these guys have kind of lost their minds. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it, it's it's not that I quit or anything. They just decided they wanted to go in in another direction. I got one of those fantasy things that happened. They fired me and replaced me with uh, seven people: five editor in chiefs and, and two other guys who did two 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 other aspects of my job. Mm-hmm. So, and then they went bankrupt uh, eight, eight, seven or eight months later. I got to live a fantasy life. You did. <laughs> not not um, that I wanted Marvel to go bankrupt or anything. I mean, you were holding it together, though, for a while. So then, so you started writing also, uh, you went back to Spider-Man as a writer. Tell us about the Clone Saga, making Ben Riley the real Spider-Man, and then it kind of reverting back to Peter again. Tell us what went on with that. Danny Fingroth, the editor of Spider-Man, had arranged for a meeting a spider summit writers and artists get together to come up with the the plan for next year's spider-man and and he came to me at the end of the day and he said they have a a weird idea i said okay do you like it 
He said, well, it, it's very weird. And they want to talk to you about it. Mm. And I said, what do you think about it? He says, do you want to know what it is? I said, no, Danny. If you, if you like the idea, you go with the idea. You don't like the idea, you, you don't go with the idea. Mm. And, he, and he said, they uh, want to bring back the clone. That's the real Peter Parker. And the Peter Parker we've been following for the last bunch of years since the first clone story is, is really the clone. I said, what? That's crazy. And he says, well, the guys really want to do it. They want to talk to you about it. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll show up at the meeting. So I showed up at the meeting. I walked in and they looked at me and they said, Danny told you, didn't he? And I said, yeah. What's your first reaction? My first reaction is this is crazy. We, <laughs> we don't want to do this story. Uh-huh. Who came up with that idea? I believe Terry Cavanaugh came up with the idea. I got you. Okay. But this idea caught fire in the writer's room. Mm -hmm. Everybody got up and started talking passionately about how this would change things, how this would shake up the whole Spider-Man line, all the Spider-Man readers. This would be the most revolutionary thing. I'm watching them all. And, <laughs> and the, the guy that turned me was Sal Buscema, who'd been in the business forever. Yeah, uh, Sal is a good buddy of mine. I love uh -huh. Sal. And he's passionately telling me, this is going to shake things up. We haven't had this sort of craziness since Stan was running the company and that sort of thing. You got you know, to do this. And I'm looking at my guys and I'm thinking, my guys are so passionate about it. And, and, and these are guys, comic book creators sometimes get very jaded about comics. Yeah. Um, but this has got them all fired up. And I think if they're fired up, the readers are going to be fired up. Yeah. And I said, all right, guys, but how do we end the story? I said, you know, if you're going to send Peter and Mary Jane off, people love them and have loved them for years. They have right. to have an happy, happy ending. And they yes. said, well, what kind of happy ending? I said, I don't know. They have a baby or something. Mark DeMattis and, and Howard Mackey smack fists. I said, we knew you'd come up with the ending. And I thought, what the fuck did I just say? <laughs> I said, that's it. They, they go off to have a baby living happily ever after. And, uh, and everybody's very excited. And I said, okay, terrific. And I called Danny on the side. I said, okay, here's your three-act play. Ben Riley comes back. He's the clone. He, he comes back, and P Peter is surprised the clone is still alive. That's the end of Act 1. Act, end of Act 2. Wait a minute. Ben Riley is really, you know, the real Peter Parker. Right. You know, Act 3, Ben Riley becomes the new Spider-Man. Except at the end, something terrible happens. Act 4. He said, wait a minute. It's a three-act play. I said, no, it's a four-act play. Act four, Peter Parker has to come back and reassume him, and we find out it's all been a lie. It's been Peter Parker from the beginning. <laughs> and he says, really? I said, yeah, but, but you don't tell the guys of act four until after they've completed act three. I see. I said, that's the, that's the kicker. That's kind of like how when Superman died, but he comes back. I mean, this is like a very similar they, yeah, except, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I said, because comic book readers are a cowardly and superstitious lot. They're never going to buy buy this, so we have to really, really have to twist people around. But it has to end up that the Peter we've been following is the Peter we've been following. Yeah. And the Mary Jane. He says, "But what about the baby?" I said, "Peter, Spider Man is all about responsibility. Right. You're giving him a child. It just adds to his responsibility." Yes. You know, think of him as a cop or a soldier now. It adds to his responsibility. I said. And, and then at the end of this, we, we have two books. We have Spider-Man with Peter Parker, Mary Jane, and their baby. And then we have, we, we didn't know he was called Ben Riley at the time. Was, we have the clone book. We spin him off. And we have essentially a Peter Parker, a single Peter Parker. We'll, we'll do kind of what we did with Thor and Thunderstrike. We're going to do with Spider-Man. Give him two books. 
We did it with Iron Man and Woman Machine. We're going to do, do it with Spider-Man. And that was the plan from the beginning. Wow. Now, what happened between then and, uh, and, and fruition, a couple of things changed. Yes. I got fired. Mm-hmm. Marvel bought its own distributor. Mm-hmm. Sales plummeted 60% on all titles at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Only two titles recovered. Two groups of families recovered. The X-Books and the Spider-Books. Yeah. They said the Spider-Books are recovering because the, the only thing that's selling is the Clone Saga. Mm-hmm. So we got to keep the Clone Saga going. Mm. So they kept it going longer and longer and longer. Yeah, that drug out for a while. And they got rid of the baby. That always annoyed me. Yeah, same here. Because I wanted to know what happened, which I ended up getting with your Spider-Girl series. Yeah, Spider- <laughs> the Spider-Girl series... At, at one point, I, I was w- working on Spider-Man. They decided to take me off for Spider-Man because they were going to, you know, let Byrne and Howard Mackey do it. They had to give me a title. They gave me What If to Do. Yeah. And I thought, what would have happened if, if Spider-Man had had that daughter? Yeah. So that's why we did Spider-Girl. And to me, because that's the Spider-Man that I grew up with, I felt like May Parker, that whole storyline you wrote, that I feel was real, Peter. And... We're getting like Bizarro Peter now. That's how I feel. Well, a lot of people felt that way. Yeah, because it's a natural uh, progression of the character is the thing. So you and uh, Ron Friends co-created Spider-Girl with the What If. How did that get picked up into the Spider-Girl series that it became? When we did the issue, we were thinking of that there was just the one shot. You know, it's a, it's a what if. We had to plan what would the future be like. So we planned an Avengers team yeah. and decided to do the Fantastic Five. And and, and, and Ron said, hey, uh, yeah, I'm going to draw Herbie the Robot into the Fantastic Five. Mm-hmm. Read out with draw Herbie the Robot. I said, fine, it's only going to be for a w- one-panel scene. Yeah. And Ron had, had to do all these character sketches. What does Mary Jane look like? An older Mary Jane look like? What does an older Peter look like? What do the older characters look like? So he did did all this this background material because that's you know ron and i you know i always write bibles about the characters i'm writing even mm-hmm. if they're only going to appear in a couple of panels yeah ron always does all sorts of sketches so that he knows exactly what he's drawing mm-hmm. and and at one point i um you know uh, when we finished the uh, the what if I, I didn't need this stuff anymore. I said, hey, I, I just want to show you the kind of stuff Ron does in background and gave it to the editor. A couple of months later, after that Spider-Girl came out and sold out, did very well. And this is in the days before the comic books went back to press. Bob Harris said, hey, that, that, uh, what if you did sold very well? And I didn't know which one he was talking about. Mm-hmm. I want you to walk with me. Mm-hmm. said, we're, we're thinking about doing a a deal with a Walmart where we put three comic books in a bag. A lot of our comic books no longer appeal to the mass market. Mm-hmm. And you really have to be a hardcore comic book fan to follow them. Mm-hmm. said, but you do material that works for the mass market. Right. And I said, yeah, well, y- yeah. <laughs> um, he said, uh, what would you think if we brought back that Spider-Girl character? Could you do 12 issues of her? I said, Bob, I can do 12 issues of anything, probably. Yes. And, but we need two other things. You could do either the Avengers in the book or, or the Fantastic Five in the book, well, one of those, and maybe do that little juggernaut character. Yeah. And I thought, 
little juggernaut character. What the heck is he talking about? <laughs> and then I looked at the Avengers and I thought, oh, no, no, that was supposed to be the juggernaut. But I said, okay, yeah, we'll do the little juggernaut character. Like his son, yeah. Yeah. Which is a funny, and, I, I actually really like that issue with the constant referral to the Professor X and him as brothers. And, oh, that ought to, you know, with your stupid looking face hanging out. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are just great. Okay. Uh huh. So, so we were going to do three books. They were, they were going to be 12 issues each. That was going to be the end of them. As we finished it up, he said, hey, you know what? We never did the deal with Walmart, but these things are selling pretty good in the direct market. Can you do five or six more issues of Spider Girl? Yeah, I said, I said yeah, and 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 maybe do one of the others. So we did the Wild Thing, and we did the the Buzz and Fantastic right. Five. You know, as we're getting the the last couple of issues, and the, the last issue, I think we were supposed to end with issue seventeen. I said, can you make that a double size issue? I said, yeah, we can make a double size issue. So let's issue Spider Girl, and we're heading for the end of uh, Spider Girl. They came back to me and said, you know, this thing is selling re- really too well to, to cancel. Can you do six more issues? Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, six more issues? Yeah, I guess we could do six more issues. And then for uh, the next 12, 13 years, it was 13 years in total, they kept asking for six issues. Oh, Can you wow. do six more issues? Can you mm-hmm. do six more issues? And we kept kept coming up with six more issues. Yeah. So, and you really progressed that character great. I, I actually fell in love with May Parker as a character. And that went on for 12 years, and that's what they call the MC2 timeline, right? Right, right. Yeah, MC2. Now, I noticed Pat Olive did a lot of the earlier Spider-Girl issues, and then Ron Friends comes in. What was up with Pat Olive doing so many, and then Ron Friends coming in later? What happened there? When we decided to do the original books, I thought Olive would do the Avengers, and Ron would do uh, Spider-Girl. Right. But because the Avengers had Kevin Masterson in it, Ron wanted oh, to do Kevin Masterson in the Avengers. Yeah. And and Pat had done um, Untold Tales of Spider-Man. He said, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind doing Spider-Girl. So they did that. And, and Ron Lim was always the choice for J2 because I knew I was going to do a really goofy book. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew that Ron could draw the goofy and do it straight. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. And... and um, I actually laughed out loud during some of those panels from J two. I think yeah, that was well, hilarious. It was it was my humor book. Yeah, uh, it was. <laughs> and um, at one point, they said to us, "Spider Girl is going to get canceled with issue sixty. This is it. It's definitely getting canceled. Mm-hmm. There's no hope for reprieve." Mm-hmm. I said, "Okay, all right. We last a lot longer than I thought we were going to last, so we're good." And. Uh, as we're coming, you know, towards the end, Pat Olaf offered another assignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a book. It's going to come out. You're going to get a, a two-year guarantee on this title. Mm-hmm. It's going to be our next big push, but you're going to have to leave Spider-Girl a couple of issues early. Yeah. Two or three issues early. And, and Pat called me up and said, Tom, I don't know what to do. I said, Pat, I know what you do. you got to guarantee two years on this other book versus three more issues on Spider-Girl. If you don't quit this book right now. I'm going to kick you off the book. Take the other assignment. You got to take care of yourself. So, and Ron Friends was temporarily out of work. I, I can never believe that statement as I say it, because I uh-huh. still think he's one of the greatest uh-huh. storytellers this medium has ever seen. Uh-huh. Ron is going to do the last three issues. We're basically finishing up. We were ahead enough. I go into the office. 
check around. Any other work for me? We'll check around. I thought, okay, this is it. So I walked around, said goodbye to everybody, walked out of Marvel, figuring that's the end. And about a week and a half later, on April Fool's Day, they called me up and said, sales on Spider-Girl are too good. We can't cancel it. Can you get us a plot in two or three days? Well, I see. And I said, hey, guys, who are you busting? And I hung up because I thought, for sure, it's an April Fool's gag. Mm -hmm. And I got calls from the office throughout the day. And I never bought it for a second. About 7 o'clock, 7.30 at night, I get a call from Tom Brevoort says to me, it's 7.30 at night, I want to be home with my kids. Mm-hmm. You're the last person in the world I want to be talking to. Right. This is not an April Fool's joke. We need a plot. We need it in, in two or three days. Um, I need a title. I need something to solicit. Can you give me something by tomorrow? And I said, mm-hmm. I said, Tom, is this real? He says, yeah. I said, all right. I don't know what the story is, but we're going to call it Marked for Death. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we ended up doing another 70 issues. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I love Pat Olive stuff too, but when you and Ron Friends get together, my first regular comic that I actually was like, I want to get the next issue was in 1987. It was a Thor with you and Ron Friends and the Annihilus cover when Thor returns to Asgard and Annihilus is like taken out each one, one by one. And so I imprinted almost like a little chick out of the egg to this team of DeFalco and friends. Once you guys started kicking back up on Spider-Girl, I was like obsessed with those. But then it finally actually did end. And then there were some digital issues. You guys actually finished that with digital issues, right? The, the regular book ended. Then we did some... Spectacular some, Spider-Girl? Yeah, some digital issues. And then they were reprinted in Spider-Man Family. And then you know, Spider-Girl and... Spectacular Spider. I, I don't remember the titles, but they kept telling us we're canceled and they kept saying, please come back. So then are there any plans for any more May Parker stories? Not to my knowledge. Not to I, know. I, right. I, I, I thought that maybe with the uh, 80th anniversary, we might get to do one more, but you know, I, I don't think that's in the cards. But I've been wrong before. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> like that series was kind of living on a prayer for a while and it just kind of went on for a long time, which is awesome. These days, every time I do a comic book story, I look at it with the idea that this is probably going to be my last one. Yeah. Uh, and, but and you're still doing them. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, someday it will be, it will be my last one. Well, hopefully not anytime soon. I want to ask a few questions about after spider girl in 2011, a Superman beyond one shot, uh, right. for DC comics. Um, did you approach that in a similar way as the MC two stuff of this alternate future? How, how did you approach that? Well, they, they had already set up the, the Batman Beyond universe and had a, a Superman Beyond in that universe. I, I read up what I could on the Batman Beyond stuff, read the Superman Batman Beyond team up, and then tried to do what we thought would be a basic Superman story that would set up a possible series. Mm, mm, I see. So then tell us also about your work, the Dorling Kindersley for Marvel Character Guides. How'd that come about? <laughs> One day I'm sitting in, in my office and I get a call, a guy with an English accent said, uh, we're going to do an encyclopedia on Spider-Man. And we were told you were the guy that we should talk to. And I said, no, no, no. the guy you want to talk to is Peter Sanderson. And they said, well, Peter Sanderson works on our X-Men books, but we were told to talk to you. Mm. And I said, who told you to talk to me? Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, Ralph Macchio. Right. And I said, I said, let me call Ralph. So I called up Ralph. 
And I said, why did you mention me for an encyclopedia kind of book? I don't do that sort of stuff. He said, well, they, they wanted to do a book on Spider-Man. You're, you're a guy I know who does books. And I said, Ralph, mystery novels. It's a whole different kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he said, yeah, but why don't you do this? It's something you could give to your nephews. And I thought about it and thought, I, I don't know how to do this kind of book. But it is something I could give to my little nephews. And I th- thought about it and thought about it and said, well, since I don't know how to do it, maybe I should try, try to do one. Yeah. So, so I did the, the Spider-Man book. And about halfway through the book, I thought, wait a minute, now I know how to do this, these books. So maybe if they ever offer me another one, I'm going to do a second one just to, to make sure that I, I now know how to do this and then I don't have to do any more. But I ended up doing a few more. Did you enjoy them? They were interesting. You know, they were a lot of work and interesting challenges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, as a writer, I, I like to be challenged. Yeah, that's great. Now, you also got into Archie, the man from Riverdale in 2010, issue 610. How was it going back to Archie? Oh, it was great. I, my former editor, my former boss, uh, got to work with Victor again. The whole thing started because Archie had approached uh, Sal Buscema to uh, pencil a job. for. They had an Archie new look at the time. Uh, Sal said to them, I, I don't pencil anymore, which is a total lie. And he said, get Ron Friends to pencil it, and I'll ink it. So Ron calls me up, and he says, yeah, so... Sal wants me to pencil an Archie job, and he'll ink it. And you should call him up and tell him that you want to write it. You want me to call up Archie Comics and tell him, I want to write that job? Right. I said, it doesn't work that way. Call him up. So I called up Mike Pellerito. I said, hey, Mike, um, I I understand you're going to have Ron Friends pencil a job, and and Sal is going to ink it. He says, do you want to write it? I said, absolutely. He says, okay, good. So, And I said, there's only one thing. I know this was supposed to be the, the Archie new look. Ron wants to do classic Archie. He says, you guys want to do classic Archie? I said, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to do Archie, we'd rather just do Archie. Yeah. And we ended up doing a few Archie stories um, and some Jughead stories. And then at some point, they asked us to do this band from Riverdale thing. Ended up doing a whole bunch of Archie stuff again. Nice. And it's just great. Great to, you know, be with the old characters again. So then... You also did Reggie and Me with Sandy Jarrell as the artist. Yeah. Tell us about that. Tell us about working with Sandy Jarrell. Well, Sandy was a real pleasure. You know, I called him up before I started and told him vaguely what the story was going to be. And and he got, you know, pretty excited about it. And uh, it was kind of connected with the Mark Wade, new Archie kind of style, but with some of the classic stuff back. And Stan- Sandy did a, a heck of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that was <laughs> that was the the story. Um, in in chapter four, something happens to the dog. When that book came out, I got got a call from the publisher. He said, um, "I'm just reading the <laughs> the, the Reggie me," and um, uh, and I said, "It ends happily. The dog is okay." Yeah, he goes. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. We're good. I realize. Thank God. They're like, thank goodness. Yeah. Hey, if, if the publisher is that upset. Thought, hey. Yeah. That is funny. This is working. I want to end today with two philosophical questions. All right. <laughs> so one, 1996, it's kind of an interesting year because you leave the Fantastic Four. Jim Lee then starts doing Fantastic Four. Mark Grunewald dies of a heart attack. There's a whole corporate shakeup. 
and then eventually Toy Biz buys Marvel, and just things kind of change after that. And as you said, this Peter Parker storyline, there's a fracture during this where they have a baby and now the baby's gone. And then you kind of pick up at that fracture with Spider-Girl. Would you consider 1996 the death of old Marvel? I've heard a number of people say that. And I think that people of my group, of, of my day at Marvel, Mark was the heart and soul yeah. of, of us. Um, Mark Grunewald, yeah. Mark Grunewald. He was really the heart and soul of this. And when Mark died and died so suddenly, it took a lot out of all of us. Mm. And we're, to a certain extent, we're still feeling it. Right. So I've, I've heard a number of people say that was the end of the old Marvel. I think in people's minds, they hope that in some alternate universe, at some point, Marvel was going to regain its sense and put me and Mark back in charge and bring back the old editors and bring back the old staff and you know, have a time machine and recreate the Marvel that we had in 87, the early 90s and stuff like that. Right. And I think... You know, that was a, a pipe dream that was never going to happen under any circumstances uh, again anyway. But I think when Mark died, that, like, really closed the book. That closed the book, yeah. So you and feel that way, too. I, I don't know if I feel that way because I think Marvel, Marvel, in order to survive, is, has, has to constantly evolving, be, be adapt. evolving, adapt, constantly move forward, constantly change. Yeah, the Marvel of, of today is not the marvel of my you know 1980s and but it's not the marvel of of stan 60s or roy 70s or anything else right. like that right. marvel any publishing organization any entertaining organization has to change with the times you know i've been was startled a couple of times when i was still up there working where i would talk to assistant editors and i'd see they, they was they were so locked in the past and i was saying to them guys I'm the one whose brain should be calcified. I'm the old old fart here, not you mm. guys. We have to keep charging forward and creating new things. Right. So I don't think that was the end of the old Marvel. I, I think that, you know, that was just one more turning point. Just another turning point. Um, so then the final question is, you've created many characters, and a lot of them have been licensed for television, toys, T-shirts, posters, trading cards. What goes into creating... Is there elemental things that go into creating a character that then is eternalized in these merchandising formats? I can only tell you how I create. Uh, when, when I deal with a character around friends or whomever I'm working with is, is also participating in this, I have to do a f fully realized Bible of who this character is. Mm. You know, who, who this character is, what he or she wants, how does she react to things? How does he react to things? You know, what are limitations? What is he or she afraid of? You know, all of these things. And also, I try to make it somebody that I want to spend time with. Because, you know, you as a reader, you're spending, you know, 20 minutes, a half hour with the comic book. I'm spending weeks. With that weeks, same comic, yeah. Months, you know. So it's got to be somebody that is likable enough that I can spend a lot of time with. And I, and I hope if the character becomes that likable, that other people are going to want to spend time with it. And then, you know, if they want to then wear apparel connected to it or whatever, but that stuff, I, you know, I'm not really worried about. I, I don't really care about. 
Right. I want the character to work in the medium to which it's this is his primary source. A comic book character has to work on, as a comic book character. A television character has to work as a television character. And, and just has to be somebody that, you know, we want to spend time with. Because if a character is going to be successful, you, as the reader, have to spend a lot of time with them. I'm, I'm asking of you your time, which is the most valuable thing you can never get back. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and usually some money. Money you can always replace. Time you can never replace. And, and I want to be worth your time. Oh, yeah. Well, you are. And I want to say on behalf of Jim and I, thanks so much for the quality time that you've spent with us today on the Comic Book Historians podcast. I had a great time because it was really your era of writing that was my personal golden age of comics. So it really meant a lot to me that you're able to give us some quality time today. Well, thank you, Alex. It was a real pleasure. I appreciate it.